So Genesis 2, starting at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Hello, the second reading is Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised, And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? 
Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. G'day, my name is James, one of the pastors here at church, and uh, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks this little story of Ruth uh, in the Bible. Uh, we have seen that it is quite an unlikely story full of ordinary people and ordinary events. And yet God uses this story to point us to the ultimate story of Jesus Christ. And today we see the reason why Ruth is called a love story. So let's pray to that end. Gracious Lord, we ask whether single, whether married, whether young, whether old. We know that your word has something to say to us, that you revealed yourself through the Bible and you speak to us. And so we ask, Lord, that we would sit humbly under your word and be doers of it, not just hearers of it. Amen. Now, I'm not sure your views on romantic films the old rom-com, I feel like there's three different views on it. You love it, you hate it, or you secretly love it, right? I'm in the third category. I quite like The Notebook or Sleepless in Seattle, but masculinity is a fragile thing, so I don't go on about it. But I've realised in my viewing of romantic films, there's a couple of key ingredients that all of them have. They have a passionate kissing scene. They're good looking. Uh, generally, there's certain obstacles in the way that stop the couple from coming together. Mother-in-law, uh, fear of commitment, uh, you know, war, these kind of things. Uh, and then there is a, the film ends with what? The two of them together and this relief. Ah, together at last. Ruth is a love story but yet it has very few of these key ingredients in it. In fact, if you saw Ruth at the movies, you'd want your money back <laughs> because it is so un-Hollywood-esque, unromantic. But yet I think it is one of the most beautiful expressions of love that I know. Let's have a look at this alternate love story and see what we find. Chapter three begins with a blind date and someone had helpful advice. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Now you may have experienced this, where maybe your mum's come into your room and say, I'm going to set you up. I'm going to find you a man. I know the person. But at least you haven't experienced a relative. Naomi's thinking a relative. Now, if the alarm bells are ringing, they don't need to ring for much longer. Because remember, Ruth is not part of the family. She's an in-law, right? So it's not incest. And the reason why it's important is because it's to do with the land, Boaz was part of the Elimelech's clan, and that's important. We'll look at that next week, right? But Naomi has a, a plan. She has some advice. This is it. 
verse 2. Tonight, Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go in and cover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, the first bit of this advice we get, right? Wash, put on perfume, best clothes, look good, right? That's what you do when you go on a date. If you look homeless, you're not going to get a second one, right? If you think socks and sandals and a Star Wars t-shirt is good, she doesn't, right? You need to look good, right? So we get that bit. But the second bit is odd. When you get there, Ruth, hide. And hide until it's dark, can't see. That's why it's called a blind date, right? They, they literally can't see each other. Pun intended. Uh, and when you get there, uncover his feet. Now, the goosebumps are probably rising at this point, aren't they? It's odd. He'll tell you what to do. But there's actually a, a, a danger with Naomi's advice. Because where was the threshing floor? It was on the outside of the town, far away. And there men worked. And remember in Ruth chapter 2, Boaz said to the men who worked for him, don't touch Ruth. These type of men are there on the threshing floor. And Naomi sends Ruth into that scene. Who knows what could have happened to her along the way or when she's there. And another question is, what will people assume? Ruth, looking good, enters a threshing floor where Boaz is there and comes out the next morning. What are people going to assume? When it comes to romantic relationships, you will get all sorts of advice. Helpful, unhelpful. Foolish, wise. And you need to work out what's what. Over the years, I've received all sorts of advice. People have said to me, over the years, you need to date around a lot of people before getting serious. Heard that one? Uh, it was told, look at the way they talk about their family, because that's the way you'll end up, they'll end up talking about you. That was a helpful one. I got this one a lot. You must live together before you get married. Now, advice like that, it sounds good, right? Try before you buy. I test drive the car before I bought it. I went on the tour for the uni before I enrolled. But as you look into this piece of advice, you see most of the research points in one direction. As one report says, those who live together before getting married, quote, have an increased risk of divorce, a lower quality of marriage, and poorer marital communication. Now that's surprising, isn't it? Because often when you live together, you're, you're wanting to do it so that you don't get divorced. And yet it's doing the thing that you don't want to happen. Why? When you live together, when you cohabitate, you're, whether you realize it or not, asking these questions. Do the benefits outweigh the cost? Is this making me happy? Are my needs being met? And you're letting experience drive the situation. So when the feelings go, so too can the marriage. 
But if you start from a presumption of marriage, we're going to make promises, better for worse, richer for poorer, death to us part, then we'll live together. You're saying, no matter what comes, I'm with you. So when the feelings go, the marriage is less likely to. You'll get all sorts of advice. Some of it's helpful, some of it's unhelpful. Some of it's wise, some of it's foolish. You've got to work out what's what. So Ruth sets off with Naomi's plan. But the plan doesn't go as expected. Verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. What's the problem? Nothing happens. At this point, Naomi said, he will tell you what to do. But what's happening? Nothing. Boaz is a deep sleeper. She's uncovered his feet. It's cold, not doing any difference. I heard of a story of a guy called Terry Pierce who was flying in a small plane as a passenger, fell asleep. He woke up when they landed. However, they had landed in a forest, not on the runway. They'd crash-landed, but he was asleep the whole time. There's a bit of Terry Pierce in Boaz, I think. He's a deep sleeper. And there, you can just imagine, right? There's Ruth, uncovered his feet, and nothing happens. And the tension. What has Naomi got me doing? I'm here, I'm dressed up, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and nothing is happening. And this is where God steps in, I feel. Verse 8. In the middle of the night... Something startled him. Hoot of an owl, spider crawled across his face, bad dream, who knows. But it woke Boaz. And he turned, and I love the shock of this, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Holy dooly, holy maker, a woman at the end of his bed. Now, I woke up once and there was a mouse at the end of my bed, freaked me out. If you're a parent, you may have an experience where a child, your child walks in the middle of the night and it's like this, Chucky horror film, they're just there and it freaks you out, right? But for Boaz, he wakes up and there's a woman, not what he's expecting. So he asks a very logical question, verse 9, what is it? Who are you? Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. And then straight to it, right? It's been a long night, no messing around. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you were a guarding redeemer of our family. Now, to the original readers, the jaws will be on the floor in shock at what Ruth has just said. To us, we find it a bit odd. Maybe she's a bit cold, who knows? But Ezekiel chapter 16, verse six, uses this same phrase, spread the corner of your garment over me. And there God is saying it to his people. I'm gonna make a promise, an oath to you, one of marriage. So this phrase, in other words, what Ruth is saying is, I want you, Boaz, to propose to me. And I'll say yes. You feel the shock? Some of you might be thinking, should she say this? Should, she, should Ruth take the initiative like this? Now, generally speaking, right, 
Men respond well to the obvious and women to subtlety. It's a general stereotype, but I'll give you an example. I asked a woman, uh, I was talking to a lady once who was really uh, in shock or unknown why this guy that she liked wasn't picking up in the queues. So I said, what have you done? She said, well, I said to him, hello. I said, okay, what else? Well, normally I say hi, but I said hello, it was different. I don't think he's going to pick up on it, right? I was talking to a guy, right, who once, no joke, bought a car for a girl he liked. I said, what did she do? She freaked, she ran away. All right, she's not going to respond well to the obvious, right? As a general rule, subtlety, obvious, generally when it comes to male, female. And let me say this to the women in the room. For subtlety, for guys, subtlety rarely works. It rarely works. Take permission from your sister Ruth in saying it is good and right to be obvious, to share the desires to what you want, to be blunt. I'll give you two modern-day examples. As a friend of mine, Sarah, she was serving alongside Jono in the kids' ministry. Now, Sarah had liked Jono for a while and gave her a couple of signs that weren't picked up. So one day, Sarah said to Jono, Jono, you're a godly, kind, gracious man, and I like you, and, and she left. <laughs> a couple of days later, he asked her for a coffee, and they're married with kids. She was courageous. I'll give you an example of my parents. Uh, my dad's a pastor, and for the first couple of years of him being in ministry, he was a workaholic. And uh, my mom, you know, asked him, you know, you need to take your day off, you need to spend time with the kids, fell on deaf ears. Until so one day, my mom got the suitcases down in the living room, and when dad walked in, she said, we need to talk. And said, if you continue like this, Ray, this is your future. I was thankful for my mum's courage that day because it meant dad changed. Took his day off and spent time with us. The thing about Ruth is she's bold. She's courageous. But she doesn't take over. You notice Ruth doesn't do it herself. She doesn't put the corner of her garment over Boaz. She doesn't propose. Now, this is important, right? Because for us guys, our basic default when it comes to responsibility is to go passive. When it comes to, uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, dealing with issues, finances, admin, whatever it might be, we can go passive on it and shut down. Adam and Eve. When Eve was deceived by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Where was Adam? Not on a bushwalk. He was there watching the whole thing. And he said nothing. The first sin of a bloke was the sin of doing nothing. And his blood is in all us men. It is great for your woman to take the initiative. But don't remove the responsibility from him because he will thrive on it and it is not helpful for you. It is not helpful for him, for anyone. Be obvious. This is what I want. This is what I expect. This is what I'd love. And then step back and then let him step up. When my wife and I were engaged, 
uh, we're on Bondi Beach one day. And she said, James, I don't think I can marry you. And why she said that was because in our relationship, I was quite controlling. I said, this is where we're going. This is the plan. This is what we're doing. Come along. I wasn't listening to her. I wasn't taking her desires in consideration. And so I was so thankful that she said that. She had the guts to say that. Because it allowed me to see how deep the problem was and allowed me to change. Let's go back to Boaz. How does he respond to Ruth's courageous and obvious request? Is he insecure? Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than which you'd shown earlier. In verse 11. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. What I love about Boaz, he, he honors two things. He says... He's honoring the fact that what Ruth has just done is not easy. Bless you, he says. But then he doesn't lead her on. It's not a game to him. He takes action. If you're here and you're the kind of guy that leads women on in some sort of game because you enjoy the, the thrill of it, then you're a douche and you're an idiot. Stop it. Because it's not loving Boaz is a man who takes action and honors his word, doesn't lead her on. He's a man of integrity. He knows in marrying Ruth there are complications. Verse 12, although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. He knows it's going to be complex. He knows he's going to have to have a number of uncomfortable conversations. But he doesn't tap out. He's not lazy. He serves Ruth by getting things done. If you're a husband in the room, you may say as quick as a flash, I'd die for my wife. I'd take a bullet for her. But do you die to self every day? Taking actions in the simple things. Not just saying you'll do it, but doing it. Getting off the couch, turning off the phone, turning off the video games, and actually honoring what you said you'd do. Whether that's cleaning, whether that's dealing with some issues, whether that's admin, whatever it is. Serving your bride by being a doer. Not just a sayer. You know what attracts Ruth and Boaz to each other? It's not pragmatics. For Naomi, it's about the practical. We need to keep the land in the family. Who could that be? Who could that? Oh, Boaz, boom, he'll work, done. It's not pragmatics that attract to each other. It's not even feelings. To the modern reader, what is shocking about this, there's no words like, Boaz, I love you. Ruth, I love you. That's not there. And what's even more shocking is verse 14. After they've just said they're going to get married, all things being equal, Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning. There's no passionate love scene. There's, they're not sexually intimate at this point. 
You might be thinking, well, if they loved each other, the two consenting adults, what's wrong? But Boaz, through his actions, says to Ruth, I love you, but is not sexually intimate with her. Now, we naively think, well, back in the day, they didn't really have much of urge or sex drive in those days, but you know what they didn't have? They didn't have the belief that for my relationship to be valid, it needs to have sex, which we do. Boaz is a man who doesn't result to uncontrollable passions, but he's a man of self-control, a quality that we unfortunately don't think is possible in men. But Boaz is a man of self-control. He could have taken, he could have slept with her, he could have had his desires and urges met, but you know what he does? The only removal of clothing in this whole scene is when he asks her to take her shawl so he can fill it with food and give. He doesn't take, but he gives. It's not feelings that primarily attract Ruth and Boaz to each other. It's not even looks. Verse 10, Boaz says, you've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. See, Boaz is an old man. There's no six-pack. The hair's thinning. Ruth is a Moabite. Previously married, shame would have been attached to her. But the thing that attracts Boaz to Ruth and Ruth to Boaz is their character. Verse 11, all the people of the town know that you, Ruth, are a woman of noble character. And what's that about Boaz? Chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is a man of standing, a man of honor. Last week we looked at the fact that character is king. And when it comes to romantic relationship, character is vital. And a character is so important. See, in the life of Boaz and Ruth, they see the character of each other lived out. Ruth sees in Boaz his generosity, his courage, his self-control, his integrity. Boaz sees in Ruth her, the way she treats Naomi, the way she works, the humility and her strength. They don't come to with the idea of, when they mate me, I'll change them. I'll fix them up. They'll be a better person. No, no, no. Their character is already seen. There's evidence for it. And this character they have is shaped by the God they worship. When you're looking for someone to have a romantic relationship, whether married or dating, faith is key. Not just where they believe God exists, because Satan also believes that. Let's aim higher than Satan, right? Not just that, but a faith that personally believes in Jesus Christ and you can see it. Boaz sees Ruth's faith, the way she clings to God and lets go of everything else. Because Ruth was a Moabite and they worshipped a different God, biblically speaking, it would have been wrong for Boaz to marry Ruth. But it's until he hears that Ruth has put her faith in the God of Israel that he pursues it. If you're here and you're single and you there's someone in your life who you think, I'd love to have a relationship with them, a romantic relationship. I'd love to start that, but they're not a believer of Jesus Christ. Then do not go there. A lady in our church said this. 
I thought I was lonely when I was single. But being married to a man who does not love Jesus, I am lonelier than ever. He doesn't get the very thing that makes me, me. Now, if you're here and you're married to someone who's not a Christian, we will back your marriage 100%. We are for you. But if you're here and not married, then character is king and that character needs to be shaped by the God they worship. You know what I love about this little book of Ruth? It doesn't have all the key ingredients, as I said before. It doesn't have the I love yous, the goosebumps, the hot bodies, the you complete me's. But I think it's a beautiful love story. But the thing that I find most striking of all is it doesn't have what most love stories have. The idea that for your story to be complete, you need to be married. Or you need to have a romantic relationship. How does it tell us that? Ruth chapter 1 verse 9, Naomi says something striking, which has really stuck with me. She says, may the Lord grant that each of you, Ruth and Orpah, find rest in the home of another husband. That's our culture, isn't it? To find rest, refuge, completion, satisfaction, you need a husband. You need a wife. Which means if you're single, your story is incomplete. And if you're married, you feel dissatisfied because it's not giving you what you thought. That's what our culture says. There's a critique of the Western world which often goes like this. We have a low view of marriage. Don't really think much of it. But I, the opposite is true. We think marriage is the answer to our problem. They look at a potential spouse and say, they will meet all my needs and we put a pressure, a weight on marriage, and it cannot hold it, and it breaks. Boaz and Ruth counter this. That a union between a man and a woman is not the ultimate purpose in their life. To find rest in the home of a husband or a wife will end up making you restless. But they seek rest under the wings of God himself. See, Ruth could have gone back with Orpah into the arms of a husband, but she chose to go into the arms of God. Boaz was single most of his life and self-controlled. Sex wasn't the thing that dictated him. He was complete and satisfied without it. So when temptation comes along, he was able to be self-controlled because that is not the purpose of his life. Both of them get married, enjoy the good gift of it, but it is not where they find rest, refuge, completion. An ethicist, however, said this, we're loved first and foremost because we're Christian not because we're married.
when Ruth returns to tell Naomi about the crazy night that they'd had and all the things that went down. She says this, Naomi, verse 18. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. She waits. And we'll see next week what happens. But you may be waiting. You may be waiting for a Boaz to pop into your life. Or for your husband to be more Boaz-like. You may be waiting for a Ruth to come along. Or for your wife to be more Ruth-like. No bad things to wait for. But let me ask you this. Would the story of your life be complete if it never happened? Because the story of Ruth is saying the only way you will ever be complete is if you find refuge in God himself, Jesus Christ. Who the one who did not rest did not rest until he knew you would be his and united to him. Who gave up everything so that you could have something far, far better than marriage, but a relationship with God himself that will not end, won't disappoint, won't let you down, but will complete you in every way. We're loved, first and foremost, because we're Christian, not because we're married. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we so look at the things around us and think those things will satisfy, those things will make me, those things will complete me, and They don't. They can't. We look to our sister Ruth and brother Boaz and their example. That they find their identity, they find their rest in you. That you, Lord God, give them what nothing else can. And we ask, Lord, that wherever we're at, whatever stage of life we find ourselves in, that we would look to you as our hope, as our joy, as our satisfaction, and as our home. Amen.